Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I just want to say we have, uh, it's a great episode. Three great vocalists and just musicians in general. Multi-talented guys uh the guy mark slaughter guitar player and singer jeff martin singer and drummer and sean peck who's just one of the busiest guys i uh have encountered in show business so let's get into this episode and i just before we do i just want to say a big special thanks to ian mccurdy ian thanks so much for uh hooking up this interview with mark slaughter i appreciate that hey this is sean peck vocalist extraordinaire from Cage, Death Dealer, and Denner Sherman. You're listening to Talking Metal. Hello, this is Jeff Martin from Blasted to Static, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Mark Slaughter, and you've got it right here on Talking Metal, your source for all your metal needs. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. This is John Astronomy coming to you from Jersey City, New Jersey. On the Skype, we've got Mark Striegel. Hey John, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. I got some news for you, and it's not about metal, but it's about beer. Remember on a podcast, a few podcasts ago, I was telling you about that beer tender. Remember that thing? Yeah, I've been thinking about it ever since, honestly. So check this out. I got another one uh, off of eBay, and it was from a guy in Terrytown, New York, or somewhere up there. And I just had a good vibe that, like, it was it was gonna be like a like a good condition one. The thing was like newer than mine. It was some guy who got it, and it's kind of big, so he didn't have a lot of counter space. He said he just moved into a new place, and I bought the thing for way cheaper than those prices we were seeing online. And I could tell it was so new because he didn't even run out of the 
the the little taps. It comes wow. with like six taps or something, so it's only good for about six kegs. So now I've got two of these running. So uh, at the nice. moment, I've got Heineken in one, and I've got that Newcastle Brown Ale in the other one. And at the moment, I'm oh, drinking a Heineken out of a Stella Artois glass, but it's still uh, really good, and uh, it actually tastes great. It's, I got to really get one does, of those. Yeah, Man, you totally do, Mark. It keeps yeah. it at, like, you know how you're concerned about temperature? Yeah. It even has a thermometer on the, the they're like a little light, shaped like a thermometer it keeps it at the exact proper temperature for beer wow that is that is awesome and i definitely need to get one of those um so yeah you're gonna have to point me in the right direction yeah i will help you do it i'm drinking a uh, ipa it's a river horse which is a new jersey beer company and it's uh they used to be in uh lambertville new jersey they're now in ewing new jersey i heard of lambertville but yeah it's those both those towns are kind of down in the trenton area so uh so yeah and great Great local brewery here in New Jersey, River Horse. I got a I got a funny story. Uh, now I wish I could have had all those great beers you had at your party that you had. A, uh, I don't know. Was that a that was a holiday party? Yeah, right? it was in December. Yep. Yeah. To me, it's like yesterday. But uh, it, but the funny thing is, believe it or not, I drove back from your place to Jersey City that night. Can you believe that? How crazy is that? Yeah. Well, it's crazy. For for me because I know you and you don't drive. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I rarely, rarely ever drive. Yeah, yeah. And so I drove all the way back. So that was really good. You weren't drinking that night. No, no, that was back when I was uh, taking a three month uh, hiatus from drinking. And uh, (laughs) and Mike Lincoln, I he I never saw him like that kind of out of it. Which I mean, he was funny. Mike Lincoln is our friend who John was with at at the Christmas party that I had. Uh, You brought with you Mike Lincoln, who we've known forever, and and your girlfriend, Lynn, was there too. Yeah, so we had a great time. Lynn and I weren't drinking, and Mike was drinking, and that's rare, because usually Mike's the driver uh, everywhere we go, but he's very good that he does not drink and drive, and uh, so that was that. So anyway, that was the the funny story, but I wish you had so many great beers. You had that maiden beer, and you had yeah, a lot of stuff, and uh, I wish I could have had some. But uh, and, uh, you know, what was I drinking? I was, I think, I brought O'Doul's and Beck's uh, non-alcoholic. But there's a, a brand of non-alcoholic called Klosthaler. I, I believe that's the name. And there's a like a light one and a dark one. And I swear to God, I just bought a six pack of the dark one. Even though it's non-alcoholic, I just like it. It's like yeah. a good drink. So it, it actually, t- it's the for me the Beck's is pretty good, but this Klosthaler dark, it. it, it if if somebody would tell me that that was actual real beer, I would believe it. So, well, anyway, that's my beer story. Sorry to sidetrack everybody. But no, no worries. We got three great vocalists on today's show, John. We have Sean Peck, who is with Cage and Death Dealer, and he's working with the original Merciful Fate guitar players right now. And in, in uh, Denner Sherman, Very- which is uh, you know Denner Sherman. I mean, those guys just. Both yeah. played on all oh, that I classic remember, Merciful Fate remember stuff. Remember those guys. Yeah, so he's he's working with them. And then we have uh, Jeff Martin, who is a great drummer, but also a great vocalist. He played drums with Badlands uh, after Eric Singer left. And he sang with Racer X, and he is Amazing. Now, now singing with Blasted to Static. He's going to tell nice. us all about this this new band. And they sound really good. I'm not just saying that. Blasted to Static is some some good shit. You got to check it out. <clears throat> Their self-titled record. It's really good. I'm really digging that. Okay. Last but absolutely not least, Mark Slaughter, who was on Talking Metal many years ago. You did the interview, John. Yep. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I remember doing it in some strange 
building and I, I I'm trying to figure out now what building that was in and it, because Mark was in town for rock and roll fantasy camp and we were we were at Gibson at, at times, but this interview was not done at Gibson, and I cannot remember what building it was done in. It was very strange that I can't remember that. But I recently saw Mark, and and what was crazy is I I didn't even get a chance to talk to him because I was so jammed up with Ace stuff uh, because it was a festival in Florida. It was the day before we went out to do the video with Paul Stanley. And so I was like working like a, a maniac. I had a laptop, for example, on the side of the stage and I was like writing letters and doing emails and checking on things. And uh, but there was a, a a time where there was like a little hospitality tent uh, next to, uh, you know, kind of behind the stage and uh, people were eating. Uh, and I, I was sitting there and I know Mark and Dana and, and uh, Dana Strum I'm referring to. Uh, and some other guys were all back there eating. Um, I think the guys from Quiet Rye were there. There was a lot of different bands. And um, I was just so busy. I didn't get a chance to go over and, and try to talk to any of these guys. And I would have loved to have done that. Uh, but we were preparing to fly uh, you know, to uh, L.A. like in a, like a few hours after the concert, so it was crazy. But that was in was in some town near Sunrise, Florida, okay. uh, right outside of Fort Lauderdale. But yeah, that was uh, last time I saw Mark Slaughter, nice. who I love. I think he is great. And uh, Mark, if uh, if you're listening, I hope to see you again soon and uh, hang out. Absolutely. And and for anybody who doesn't know, which almost uh, I'm sure most listeners know, but John works with Ace Fraley if you happen to be a new listener and uh, that's that's what he's talking about when he says he was working with Ace and John you're the tour manager and you're the personal assistant is that yes right I, okay. correct so. yep I'm uh, Ace's personal assistant which encompasses a lot of stuff it encompasses management duties it encompasses like just about everything you can think of and then when we're on tour I'm the tour manager and um uh, it's it's really fun and it's very rewarding, uh, but it's very hard. And let me tell you, I I always uh, looked up to uh, this guy's name is George Suet, and uh, he was a manager and tour manager of Aces back in the day, and he was part of the uh, Kiss reunion, and he managed Ace and Peter at that time. And uh, I always try to uh, take cues from George. And uh, let me tell you, I didn't realize how hard this was because. Being on tour sounds like a fun thing. You're in a different city every night and hotels and buses and planes and SUVs and all this kind of stuff. And it looks glamorous. But I'll tell you the truth. When you're the guy in charge of making sure everything runs smoothly for not only Ace, but the band, uh, the crew, uh, any guests that happen to be traveling with the group. And uh, it's just really, really hard, let me tell you. Absolutely. Yeah. George Suet is uh, legendary in, in the KISS world. I mean, he's he's been, I know he's in Paul Stanley's book and, and Peter Chris's book. Uh, is he in the Ace book? I'm not, I I, you know what, believe it or not, I, I know I co-wrote the book, but you know what's really funny about the Ace book is I've now forgotten a lot of stuff right. that was in the book, um, even though, you know, I, I helped write the book. And, and believe it or not, in addition to helping write the book, I typed every word of the book out. So that yeah. that's just a strange thing. There's, even if I wasn't the writer of, or co-writer of the book, I, I would have uh, um, probably done that. And um, 
It, but what's funny is I, I probably should go back and reread it. But you know what's funny is I'm a, a, sometimes once I write something out or do a project, I'm afraid to go back because I'm going to find mistakes, and right. and I then I'm going to think I got to make a change. And there's no way they're going to you know go and change the text because I, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, found some error or something like that. But. Uh, right but anyway, I, I really need to go do that. But yeah, George is a great guy. He's been very cool to me. Uh, you know, historically, he helped me out in a few situations, uh, you know, business-wise, and uh, just been a good friend and uh, very cool. But. Excellent. Cool. Well, let's get into a little Mark Slaughter. One thing I wanted to talk to Mark about was just this amazing solo record that he put out exactly one year ago. And I feel like it was kind of under the radar for for most people it was on my best of list for 2015 um and uh i just want to call attention to this record that he put out reflections in a rearview mirror is the record it is absolutely awesome it's a great great record and it's not a slaughter record it's a mark slaughter record and he's going to tell us all about this record and then of course we got to talk to him about vinnie vincent eric Carr. The old days get some good old stories in there too. So this is just this is a fun interview, man. I mean, a very great cool. Well, I can't wait to Mark hear it. I cannot wait to hear it. And fans of Kiss and and uh, yeah, good stuff here. So let's let's uh, dive into it right now. This is off of Mark Slaughter's Reflections in a Rearview Mirror album. This is the opening cut. This is a rocker, John. You got to hear it. And Mark's playing guitar on this too. Which the guitar playing is just insane. Uh, Away I go followed by my interview with Mark Slaughter. I am a tipsy boy from Mars. I count the good times by the scars. In the dark is where I roam. In the hard world, that's my home. Until the endless highway is calling. Come 
Hey, this is Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and calling in on the line is Mark Slaughter. Mark, how are you tonight? Doing great. How are you? Good, good. I want to hear all about what's going on with you and also talk a little bit about your uh, your past. But I, I really wanted to talk to you mainly about this great record that you put out last year. It was called Reflections in a Rearview Mirror. It was on my top 20 list for the best records of 2015. And I thought it was, it was just a great record. And I was a little disappointed I didn't hear quite as many people talking about it. And I just wanted to revisit it here with you today and, and let the listeners know about it. Because it, it really is a hidden gem. And there's so many great songs on there. And I want to talk to you about some of the songs. But let's, let's talk about the, the record itself. You play basically everything on the record but drums. Is that correct? That's correct. There was only, uh, and I had a few guests. There was a, a gentleman named Bill Jordan. He's from the, the Jersey area out there. Uh, who's a friend of mine. I met at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. We wrote one of the songs together. He played the keys on one song, which he's credited for, and also Gina, the girl that sang the duet with me, right. uh, did that. But other than that, yeah, I did. I, I wrote and produced, recorded it. The only thing I didn't do it was, you know, on the whole thing was uh, the drums. And I had uh, my dear friend, uh, Michael Wagner, to uh, mix and uh, master it. But that was just the phases of it. And it was a lot of fun. You know, and, and through the years, I've always known you're, you're a great vocalist and you're a great songwriter. But one thing that, that really struck me about this record was your guitar playing is just a fantastic. It sounds wonderful. And, uh, and, and I guess it makes sense because I remember that reading that you had been a guitar teacher, I think, way back when, before you joined up with uh, Vinnie Vincent. Is, that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, I was, uh, I was a guitar instructor. And uh, it was weird because I went from, you know, being a guitar teacher and having about 279 lessons that I taught per month to in front of Iron Maiden and Alice Cooper uh, playing with Vinnie Vincent as a singer without the guitar. So all of a sudden my security blanket was gone. But, uh, you know, I think it was one of those things that I, people knew that I was a vocalist. I didn't really go pushing the guitar stuff because I thought that was irrelevant as being a lead singer is, is a front man. And it's kind of like the Van Halen thing, you know, David Lee Roth is a front man and Sammy Hager was a singer, although he's a good front man, you know, David certainly brought the party, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I, I think I've learned just by watching and observing all the things that I loved over the years. And that was one of the things that struck me. So I just kind of put it down for a bit. Well, you must have picked it back up at some point because, it, like I said, the playing on this record is really impressive. Uh, do, did you did you like have to revisit it and start like shredding and practicing and doing all that again, or was it just come back naturally? No, I've been playing, but I just haven't been really my head in as a lead player. But on this record, I certainly took it as the lead player and you know playing all the instruments and and the keys, and then you know obviously with the new technology, you can have, you know, a whole orchestra if you want to, which I certainly, you know, used a lot of that stuff and, and uh, played one violin at, the, at a time and created this kind of a monster that was, you know, it was a pain in the ass for Michael to mix, but it was, some, it was one of those things of uh, an artist makes art. And it was really one of those things that, to me, I just want to make music. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it doesn't make any money and da 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 
you know, it, when you start doing this a long time ago, you did it because you loved it. You did it because it was a part of you and it's what you're going to do no matter. And that's really how I approach this thing, whether, you know, live or die with this thing. It was just something that I had to do. And I'm already starting on the new CD right now. I'm a couple songs into it as we speak. And it's because I just want to make art. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the whole thing. I think that, that uh, that's what musicians should do and stop worrying about, you know, the money aspect of it. If it's good, it'll find its way and people will talk about it. And if not, it can be a part of people's lives, which ultimately that's what you want with your music anyway. Right on, right on. So that, that's exciting. You're doing uh, another CD and this will just be, again, it's not a slaughter CD. It'll be another Mark Slaughter CD, a solo CD. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, Dana just doesn't seem, you know, he he's a businessman. He's working with Vince. In fact, my band's playing with Vince tonight in Palm Springs area. And, you know, I'm sitting in front of my, uh, of my guitars are all around me. My keyboards are on. I'm just, you know, literally, you know, hearing a ponytail and candle burning and just rocking, you know. Cool. Uh, and that's just, it's what I'm doing right now. It's what I love to do. Awesome. And speaking of rocking, again, there's so many songs that just really rock on this Reflections in a Rearview Mirror record. Opens with The Way I Go, which is just a fantastic song. Almost The lyrics almost sometimes seem Bowie-esque to me. Is that, is that, a, is that something I'm imagining, or, or was he an influence no, I, on you? No, there's a, there's a gentleman who I wrote uh, who's a lyricist who's just phenomenal. His name's John Goodwin. And, and you know he's a good bouncing ball. And when we do, when we write together, we get things that are just really out there. And, and I, I just, that's kind of where I wanted to be on this stuff because it doesn't have to fall in the niche of what slaughter was. It's a, it's a solo record. So you have those liberties to, you know, take it where you want to take it and move it the way you want to move it. That's, that's what we did. And the song away I go had so many meanings, you know, it's kind of like one of those songs that you're, speeding your car to, or, 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 you know, that, that, you know, of just going just that, right. that adrenaline rush. And, you know, the very first of the whole record is actually me in the, on my Delta flight. I rang the stewardess button and recorded it on my phone and then imported it into the song. Which starts nice. to, you know, it's all those little things like that, all those little things that I love, you know, like for instance, in a Pink Floyd record or, you know, Raven years ago did it in between where they talk or Led Zeppelin talk between the tracks. I just always thought that was cool. I liked the, the ear candy, so to speak. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of diversity on the record, too. I mean, you mentioned Zeppelin, uh, the Carry Me Back Home. You know, the title almost sounds Zeppelin-esque. And, and to me, I hear like a Zeppelin influence on that specific song. Is that, uh, is that something that was a conscious thing on your part or just... It's the, the part, yeah, the part is that uh, um, the, I did an alternate tuning on the guitar and just started playing around. And Jimmy did that. He did a lot of alternate tunings on a lot of that Zeppelin stuff. And then uh, when you start with the alternate tuning and then you add orchestra to it, to an acoustic guitar, it just starts sounding Zeppelin-ish. Right. Um, there's the thing, there's just a sound to it. Uh, there's hardly any guitars on that. There's like brass and, 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 and or, you know, orchestra strings and stuff on it and acoustic. There's barely, there's no heavy, heavy guitar. And at one point Michael called, we were out doing a show and he goes, 
He goes, man, I don't, I don't see the, the, the rock guitars. Where are those at? And I just said, well, the trombones are in the same frequency. And he <laughs> right. goes, wow. and he goes, he goes, Oh, that's why I love working with you. That totally makes sense. Okay. Have a good show. <laughs> and then he mixed it, but it's like, you know, it's just, I just really like doing the obscurity and just, you know, again, making music. That's, that's my love. That's what I wanted to do. And I'm really in this full swing of just of really getting it out there. Cool. Well, I'm psyched to hear the, the new stuff. Um, and I want to ask you about that. But real quick, just to touch upon a couple other songs on Reflections in a Rearview Mirror. Uh, Baby Wants, great song. It starts off with this very mellow vibe. And then it does this like fierce, this, this 180 and hits this fierce, heavy riff. Uh, any stories behind that song? No, it's just, I think that's, again, it's, it's, uh, it's to the old, I think there's that old seventies influence in which I grew up with. That is just, there was no rule. It wasn't like you just did like, you know, the verse chorus, verse chorus, bridge lunch. And then the, the last part of it, you know what I mean? Right. It's just, it really is just, I just really wanted to make the music and that's kind of where it naturally went. That's where I heard the music going. So it's longer. It, you know, it's not made for radio. There's really no radio anymore anyway. So it's just kind of like, just make music that, that people can identify with. Now the song in circle flight was one that when it came on the first time I was listening to the record, I had to go back and listen to it like two or three times right in a row because it was so kind of different than the rest of the record. Almost, uh, you know, instrumental song and, and like soundtrack esque almost. And uh, was it like where did that come from? Was that written for maybe a movie soundtrack or something like that? It was it's 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 a it's a crazy story. There's a friend of mine named Mike Cerna, and Mike was a uh, he was a, a flutist, and he also made flutes. He gave me a flute, and he said, "You need you know." because of my native heritage, he said, you should play flute because that's what, you know, natives do and it's really good for you and you know, you can do it. Um, later on, after he had given me the flute, his wife called me up and said that he had passed away from, from cancer, very aggressive cancer. And she said to me, she said, we're going to have a life celebration for Mike and we'd love for you to come and play and, and to be a part of it. And I had shows right in the middle of it. And I said, listen, this is what I'll do. I'll make a piece of music. I'll pick up the flute. I'll make a piece of music and I'll send it out to you. And you just go ahead and play it you know, at his life celebration. Wow. And so what happened is, is when I did it, I, I, you know, I you know, tinkered around a little bit, but I never really took it serious. But then I wrote that piece of music with the flute and that's about four and a half, five hours with all the, you know, the keyboards and, you know, the strings and then the drums in there and the flute. And that's about how long it took me to do it. And it was just kind of one of those things of just a natural uh, thing. But the, 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 really the story of the song is that Mike told me that when his brother passed away, he said that in the native culture, when somebody dies, that they go into an animal spirit to visit others. And he, had, he was out making a flute in his shed and there was an eagle that was above his, his, the tree line that was circling, 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 and landed right on a branch right by his shed. And he said, you know, hey, brother, so glad you came to see me. I, I, I miss you, and thank you. And then he literally, the eagle took off, 
flew around a couple times and took off. And that's where encircle flight came from. So wow. it's kind of a long story, but it's, it's kind of cool. And it was, it was, you know, not, it's, it's, you know, music made for, you're right. It wasn't made for the intention of this record. It's just that when I played it for a lot of people, they're just like, wow, that's really cool, man. And, you know, Michael said, that's a really cool flute sample. I actually played the flute. Right. That, well, I was going to ask you, is that some sort of flute sample or something? But it's awesome that you played the flute. Great oh, stuff. Actually, and, yeah, the flute he gave me, and I, that's what I actually played it. Wow. What a, I had no idea there was such a cool story with meaning behind the song. It's That's great think, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's all, you know, that that's the thing, man. It's just, you know, music is such a, a, a huge part of, of not only my life, but other people's lives. It's a soundtrack. And I just think that, you know, really what I try to do is write songs that, that people relate to as I would relate to it if it was the first time I listened to it. Right on. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, and it's also treating it like as if it was an album, meaning a vinyl album, where it just takes you to all these different places when you listen to it on headphones. You hear different things each time. Right. Definitely. You absolutely do. And again, the album Reflections in a Rearview Mirror, it's oh, probably about just about a year old at this point, I would say. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we'll have that link through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com for all the listeners to check out. And uh, definitely check it out, guys, if you haven't heard it. And so, Mark, you know, speaking of your guitar playing, you know, back on the, the five studio albums that you did with Slaughter, right. uh, back, I guess, what, most the late 80s through the late 90s, I'm guessing, um, how much guitar did you actually play on those records? You know, it's, it, it is a... Uh... It's funny because Tim, I had Tim playing like, uh, you know, for instance, on the wildlife, which he hated. That was one song he hated me for because that was not like his style of playing. Right. But, but the rhythm stuff on that, I wanted him to play it. If it came to something that was more acoustic, uh, acoustic, uh, you know, electric acoustic or layering or that type of stuff, that's what I would, that's what I would do. Um, and, and it's, it's just kind of like, you know, again, at that point in time, it was more about let the band be the band. And I was really taking it more in a singer approach and pick up the guitar when it was necessary to, you know, for instance, fly the angels, all that clean guitar and the slide on that is what I did. And then Tim did the stuff. So, you know, we just kind of worked together however we could create it and get it, you know, tracked that way. Now, on the, uh, on the records back in those days, were you credited with the guitar parts, or was it like an uncredited thing? We ended up just calling it clean guitars, what we usually what we call it, because it was more of a, of a, again, it was more of the complexity of the, the, you know, the voicing, different voicings as opposed to just a straight power chord or something like that. That's what I was really, you know, good at and, and quick to, to get it down on tape and then, and then we'd move on. You know, again, this is tape. This wasn't, you know, computerized things. We just literally would just, you know, play it down and that was it, you know? Right on, right on. Hey, I wanted to ask you about the, the first time I saw you live was back on the Hot in the Shade Kiss tour. You guys opened up at the uh, Spectrum in Philadelphia. And I just uh, remember being really impressed with the set and it was kind of like, turned me on to you guys and got me into slaughter any memories of that tour it was the tour it ended up being eric carr's last tour with kiss i don't know did you know eric do you have any kiss memories from that tour yeah, I, 
Eric is, 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 you know, Eric was probably the closest uh, member of KISS to me, um, you know, because Eric is the one who took our record to Gene and Paul and said, look, this record's really good and you guys should, you know, be all over this and, and you know, kind of let the guys know that this record was, you know, before it even got its legs, he knew. Um through mutual friends. And then the next thing you know, we're out on tour with them. And, and, uh, you know, when he got his, uh, when, when his, uh, tumor came and all that, we were talking on the phone and we were going to work on his rock heads cartoon. You know, we were talking about that. I said, just get better. We'll get on it. Cause I was starting to do a lot of voiceover stuff. I said, you know, we can knock it out. And I mean, you know, MTV basically took the whole idea of a thing called metalheads. I mean, it's, it's, it's so close. I'm surprised there wasn't a lawsuit of how close it was, but you know, he really had it. He had a lot of vision and he was a lot better musician than I think people really credited him for. And he's a great player. Yeah. But yeah, it was great playing with kiss. We loved it. And, and, you know, it's, uh, but you know, we dedicated, you know, days gone by on the second record to Eric and also the memory of, of Freddie Mercury, you know, two rock and roll icons that, you know, not only, you know, helped us in what we do, but, you know, really influenced our life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think they both died in the same day, if I'm not mistaken, too. Uh, they did. Yeah, it was crazy. It was yeah. crazy. And then I remember a number of years later, it was 1996, um, I was actually working at MTV at the time, and I, I got to come out to see you play on the Slaughter Warrant Vince Neil tour, and it was uh, at a club in, in Long Island. And I was thinking back about that show, and I, I remember that I had got to meet you and Janie Lane and, and Vince Neil and um, Dana backstage, and back Dana was sitting there with a boombox, and he was trying to learn... Motley Crue songs because he was going to play with Vince that night because Vince had punched out Robbie Crane, he said, the previous night. And exactly, exactly. Was was that like the beginning of him working with Vince and, and joining Vince's band? Was that maybe the first show he ever did with Vince? Um, that's probably the first he played with Vince as far as uh, um, later. I mean, I think 2001 is when that really, he really started working with him. And then it went through the Motley thing. He worked with him with Motley and was out on the road with Motley even um, a lot of the summer and, and some of those tours. And, you know, I was just at home just, you know, writing away and kind of getting my craft together again, you know, recording rigs and all the other stuff that I'm doing. I'm engineering everything. So it was, it was a lot of, uh, you know, almost like a college education on how to do this myself. And I, you know, did the whole thing. I mean, obviously tape and doing it on the old consoles is totally different than this. So, right. um, but it was great. It was, you know, it, it's good for everybody. Everybody wins, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that, that tour that I was mentioning, I was just thinking back. I mean, so many people on that tour that are now no longer with us, Randy Castillo and Janie Lane. And of course, Tim Kelly, uh, I think that's it, but, uh, it's just crazy yeah. that they're all gone. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. I mean, it's just, it, it is just one of those things you just pinch yourself every day and, you know, lucky to be alive. And, and, you know, as, as time keeps going again, these, you know, music becomes that much more important to me because it really does take you back to the time that, 
you played that song or when you recorded that song or when you heard that song for the first time when you're, you know, with your buddies or, you know, with a girl. I mean, it's just all music is such a time stamp. And I think that's really what I try to write and try to do and have tried to do with Slaughter is to make that soundtrack so people can really, they can really relate to where, you know, where they've been and where they're going. Absolutely. Well, I know you got a show tonight and uh, I'm going to let you go in just a minute, but I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, you've gone on record saying that since you left the Vinnie Vincent invasion, you've had little to no contact with, with Vinnie Vincent. Um, but it seems in recent years, there's been this like fascination about him and where he is, what he's doing. And do you ever think we're going to hear from this guy again? Do you ever think he'll reemerge on a, on a public stage, even if it's just like to do an interview or something? I mean, he's completely off the radar. I mean, even Rolling Stone magazine couldn't find him. Do you think we'll ever hear from Vinnie Vincent again? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, he's kind of like the, you know, Bruce Kulig said, he's like the Howard Hughes of the kiss guys, you know, he was just kind of went off in his own little world. I mean, there's a brilliance with Benny. And, and again, as I've said in many, many, you know, interviews, he's a brilliant, uh, uh, songwriter and guitar player. Um, but he's just, you know, he, he's just not a touring musician. It's a, it's a different thing. He didn't want to tour. He didn't like it. Right. Um, he, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's a pain in the ass and, um, you know, in my opinion, but you know, it's, you know, it's different. It's just, you know, I, I, I would love to see him make music. The, the guy's incredibly talented and he should be doing something, but you know, sometimes people just, you know, they need to step away or, or, you know, maybe he's, he's, you know, figuring things out in his life. I know he lost his second wife again. So that's the second wife that he's lost. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, you know, I haven't talked to Vinny since I walked off the stage in 1988. It was the last time I actually saw him. Wow. Or talked to him. You know, I have not spoken to him. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy, but that's kind of, you know, kind of where it is with, with him. But right again, you know, I learned a lot and it was a great experience. And I look back on those, you know, the first record and the second record, obviously I toured on the whole first record. So that's right. kind of a, you know, that was part of my life and I was doing all that stuff. But, you know, those songs are great, man. Great times. Yeah. on yeah. And like you said, I know you were only on the second record, but both those, those records have some great songs on them. And, uh, they do, fun they stuff. do, and they, they really, they really bring back a lot of, you know, a lot of fun and a lot of, you know, good memories for me. I mean, it was my first real tour, and uh, you know, Alice was, you know, kind of coming back out of his, you know, basically he had a sobriety and you know had changed his whole ways, and and Kip Winger was on the road with them, and it was Ken right. Mary and, and Paul Taylor, you know, all the the winger guys and Ken Murray, you played with house of Lords and yeah, that's pretty crazy. You know, and if I still talk to these people this day, it's just like, we look back as 30 years ago. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It goes by so fast. Mark, it thanks. Does. Mark, thanks so much for talking with us. I don't want to wear your voice out too much. I know you have a show tonight, but I, I just want to remind the listeners reflection in a rear view mirror is only a year old. It's a great record. If you don't know it, definitely go check it out. And Mark Slaughter is telling us he's working on another 
solo record, which is very exciting. Mark, when do you think the listeners and, and the fans might hear this this next record you're working on? I, I'm thinking, you know, I've got about four songs deep right now, so I figure I have another four to, you know, six songs that I have to write and then basically pull it all together. I'm hoping to get it finished up and out by October is what I'm hoping to do. Cool. That's, that's my my uh, point that I'm I'm looking to do, and I've got some pretty solid months that I can really focus on it. So I think I'll I'll be able to do it. I've had a good long day. I sometimes my days turn into nights, my nights turn to days. It's you know I just get into this kind of the mode of just knocking things out and burn out bright. You know that's how we do it. Right but uh, it's going to be really exciting. There's some songs that to me are just. You know, it's just really exciting because it just brings back a lot of good rock and roll memories. And, you know, that's the stuff I like. You know, you go and you do what you love, and I'm certainly doing it. And I appreciate your interest and, and uh, the fans out there for all the years, and uh, look forward to seeing you out there real soon. Right on.
That was Fly to the Angels by Slaughter, of course, featuring Mark Slaughter. Yeah, and something I learned in the interview, maybe other people already knew this, is some of that guitar on, on that is is Mark, which I guess when I saw Slaughter live, he did play the guitar on that song. Um, but I'd kind of forgotten that, that uh, not only is Tim Kelly on that song, uh, Mark, on guitar, Mark Slaughter plays guitar on that song, too. Yeah, the late so, Tim Kelly, boy, yeah. such a such a sad thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, you just want to pay our respects to Tim. Tim Kelly, yeah, tragically killed in a, a car wreck. I I think, I need, I need to look this up, but I think it was a drunk driver that hit him and killed him. Oh, so. God, man. I, like I said, I've... Uh, I've had my experiences with that, not on the the end that some people might think. Uh, my uh, prom date was uh, I remember that sadly time, yeah. killed by a drunk driver, and uh, uh, that's one thing I will never ever do. Uh, we like to joke around about drinking and partying and stuff like that, but I'll never get behind the wheel after drinking. Uh, you know. Yeah, you know, no I'm, I'm the same way, and especially even more so now that I have kids, I just I'll never do that. And uh, I'm addicted to Uber and Lyft. I don't know. Oh, I haven't tried Lyft yet. Lynn has tried Lyft. I have not tried Lyft. I've been addicted to Uber. I was in Uber tw- uh, twice today already. You should get Lyft too, because sometimes I'll, I'll click on Uber and it'll be like you know fares surge pricing, surge price. I'm like, oh motherfucker, and then I'll go right <laughs> over to Lyft, and it's not a surge price, you know. So, yeah. but Lyft does that surge price bullshit too, too. yeah, yeah. You, you want to hear the worst thing in the world and i wrote to uber about this and there was nothing i could do i called american express there was nothing i can do i i there was a raining once and i needed to go to the airport like from Times square to jfk right. and get this you're not gonna believe what the cost was what five hundred and fifty dollars or something Whoa. like that yeah it was freaking ridiculous in an suv taking a private helicopter i know i, I swear to god a helicopter would have been cheaper it was the worst thing i'm over that now that that was like a a big freaking disaster, and uh, I don't even want to think of it. But you got to be careful because there was surge pricing. The guy got took like a ridiculous route. We got stuck in traffic, and yeah, uh, I, I flew to Indiana recently, and it was like the ticket was like three hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. So crazy. just to get to JFK, I spent five hundred dollars. It was oh. it was terrible. I don't want to think about it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> cool. Right. Let's not think about it. I'm Let's just get kidding. into uh, some good music right now. We're gonna hear some some blasted to static right now. This song is called Suicide King, and right after the song is over, then we'll get into my interview with Jeff Martin. Of Blasted to Static, Racer X, Badlands, uh, such a history with this guy. Been listening to him since I was probably 16 years old. It was such a great honor to finally get him on Talking Metal. I've wanted to have him on for a long time. Absolutely. I was just, remember, I was just asking to play Racer X a couple of, you know, like about two or three podcasts ago that I was on. It was a while ago now for all you listeners, but I I was into like a Racer X phase for a short time recently. And I, I love that band. I've always loved them. From back in the day when Chris DiCarlo, uh, who was a DJ from Pittsburgh, used to play Racer X on her radio show. Very cool. Well, this is Blasted to Static, followed by my interview with Jeff Martin. Take a 
Hey, it's Mark Striegel from the Talking Metal Podcast, and it's a real honor because on the line we have vocalist and drummer Jeff Martin, who has played with so many great bands through the years, and we're going to talk to him about a lot of those bands. But first, I want to talk to him about this great new band, Blasted to Static. Jeff, A, thanks for calling in, and B, thanks for putting out this record. It, it sounds it's, no it's just problem. fantastic. Great stuff. Yeah, you know, I, it took me a while. I did a solo album, you know, back in, I think it was 05 or something like that. But, you know, really, I haven't... Yeah, when when you write songs with Paul Gilbert and get to play with you know one of the greatest guitar players around, and I played with a lot of great guitar players, Michael Shanker and Jakey Lee and uh, geez, uh, George Lynch, yeah, on and on, yeah. bunch of people. You know, it's it's when, once you've been driving a Ferrari, it's hard to go drive a Volkswagen. You know what I'm saying? So, Absolutely. And, and you know, I get a lot of tapes from really great guitar players all the time saying, you know, I want to do something in this and that. And, and, you know, the, the playing is great and it's all the shred stuff, but a lot of times the songs just aren't there, you know? And, uh, so I just never embarked with a different band. You know, it's funny that Blasted the Static came together through my, me and Bruce Bouillet trying to get Racer, another Racer X album. Oh, really? Okay. yeah, he uh, what he did is he gave me a CD with like 35 song ideas, and I banged out, you know, some were only a minute and a half long, but I edited with my engineer, Damon Gold, up here in Tahoe. We work at Big Water Studios, and I I put together 25 songs with, with Bruce, and our evil plan was to send a song a day to Paul uh, to break him down and finally say, yeah, okay, we'll do an album. You got enough songs, you know, there's, right. good, there's at least 10 good ones in there. Um, but right away he just emailed me and said he wasn't doing metal right now and he's off on a different tangent and you know, that's all fine and well. So, but the, the way I got together with Stu Marshall, uh, and he's in Sydney, Australia. So I, I'm really excited about having a band with guys that are on the other side of the planet, let alone the bottom of the planet. Right on. See, it seems as though I had to search far and wide, but we just kind of found each other. But he was taking some lessons from Bruce, uh, you know, just some little uh, technique lessons and what have you. And Stu, once a year, has been doing this thing called um, Empires of Eden. And it's kind of his solo thing, but what he does is he... He picks out all his favorite singers and gives them a bunch of dough and says, will you sing on this and I'll send you a song and you write what you'd like to write to it and put it on this album. So I did that. And he also gave me seven other songs or six other songs to do. And um, by the time I got through the second one, I was just realizing how great we are together, you know, and I just said, and he had the same thing on his mind when I sent him the two other songs other than the Empires of Eden song. He just said, man, we've got to make a real band out of this, not just a project. It's got to be a real band. So, you know, and I said, well, I've got the perfect name. <laughs> and I, uh, I have a daughter who just graduated from college with a degree uh, in uh, photojournalism, sociology. And she's going to be working for DC Records. Um, but she's always asking me, I almost feel like the old man of the sea. You know, Dad, tell me another rock and roll story. You know, I used to hang out with Priest a lot and right. and all these, I got all these kooky stories. But I, I, told, I told her one that was really off cuff that 
I was a paper boy. I'm 12 years old. I'm a paper boy delivering the Milwaukee Journal. And I had an old cassette player. This is way before um, Walkman. And I had the Black Sabbath Paranoid album pretty much duct taped into that thing and playing it over and over again on 10, tone on 10. The speaker was pretty much shredded to shit. And uh, so, you know, on Sunday mornings, you got to deliver really early, 5.30 in the morning. So here I'm going around, slamming doors, delivering my paper, blasting, you know, uh, Black Sabbath to, you know, to anybody else. They wouldn't even know what it was. It was just blasted to static. And and, uh, it's funny, the lady called the next day, a lady called and said, I want you to tell that kid to turn that shit down. He's got it blasted to static. Yeah, nice. And I, and, and I got you. fired. <laughs> I got <laughs> fired that day from the job from from loving metal so much that I had to have it on 10. Wow. So this band is named after a 12-year-old boy's love of heavy metal. Well, I, I got to um, just throw something in here, a little personal uh, a note, that I also was a... Uh, Milwaukee Journal newspaper uh, delivery boy. Believe it or no not, way. I swear to God, I lived. I went to junior <laughs> high. Big canvas bags, you know. You yeah, had, like, I had a big yellow uh, bag, and oh, it was you know the Sunday morning, and then I believe the other nights it was uh, it was after school. I do it, but yeah, Sunday. Yeah, morning. yeah, that was it. You go to the paper shack, right? You sub yeah. your papers together. Yeah. On, yeah. sa- on Saturday, Mequon, Wisconsin, Mequon, Wisconsin. Oh, Mequon! Wow. Yeah. No, I was with Dallas, so I was, you know, suburb of Milwaukee. Um, yeah, it was nuts. Uh, those Sunday mornings were fun, weren't they? When your parents had to drive you around because yeah. there's so much damn snow and it's yeah, thirty below zero. There, definitely. What the hell were we thinking? Yeah. Good stuff, but yeah, the album uh, we just heard "Suicide King," which is just a just fantastic opener to the record. And there's there's a, just so many other great songs I'm really digging. Um, "Delivered from the Ashes" is one. Uh, what's the Devil's uh, Devil's um, Devil's Preacher? Yeah, Devil's Preacher. You got a couple Devil songs on there, you know. Yeah. I'm always going one way or the other on that. Yeah, you know what? Stu and I talked about this too when we were writing this album. I said, you know. I'm as I'm getting older and I'm getting older. Um, the bands that really stick out are the band, mainly the band that I named this band after, which I was listening to Black Sabbath. So, right. and when I really, when I really thought back to really cool old Sabbath albums and cool old Judas Priest albums and Queen albums, they would saw your face off for two, two or three songs, or maybe just one song, and then all of a sudden they'd come in with a song like FX or Changes uh, or uh, Planet Caravan or something, and it would just reset the table, reconfigure your ears. Uh, It's kind of like a sonic palette cleaner. And then when you go and come in with another heavy song, it's heavier than it would have been if it was after another heavy song. You know what I I mean? You know, there's just diversity. There's, There's more peaks and valleys. And even, you know, with the way that we do a song like Suicide King, which is a real priest screecher sort of thing. And I always have to have a Racer X-y kind of song, which deals with going fast or something to do with racing or speed, because I'm a motor- motorcycle enthusiast. I'm, I'm surprised I'm still alive. Um, you know, I always have to have that on there. And then, then we have songs like The Hammer 
or uh, Devil's Preacher, which are kind of hard rocky, kind of straightforward hard yeah. rocky, more a little more AOR. So, yeah, I mean, we've Preacher got a couple a great hook. Yeah, I, I, I like that one. Yeah, and I, I that whole crazy, you know, look out for the sky, we are dancing. That whole Southern Baptist weird, yeah, uh, like preacher yeah. thing. I wrote that in like a minute. Wow, you know, cool. and, and and it's just so it's just so the other way. You know, I'm kind of like Alice Cooper in a way. You know, he he's kind of, kind of a Christian sort of guy. He's not kind of a he's really a Christian guy. I'm nowhere near Christian. You know, I I have my I'm a Catholic and I tried to bring my daughter up going to church and all all that stuff and and down the right path and all that. So you know, I'd like to have on my albums songs that kind of show you the dark side and the light, the, the, the light side all in one song. And that's kind of that song. And you go ahead and choose, you know, what path you want to go down. I'm not preaching to you to, to, to take one, one side or the other, but if you're going to, it kind of showing you that uh, the other path, the higher path is kind of better to go on. I gotcha. And, uh, you know, with that one, I've done other ones on all my other albums. I kind of sneak them in there and kind of yeah. trick you. <laughs> well, this is this is a great record, and I believe it, it is just about to come out. Probably by the time the listeners are hearing this, it's going to be out. And where where is the best place to get this? Will this be up on iTunes? Uh, will there be you know a what? website you to get it at? Yeah, you know, go to blastedthestatic.com, and we will have all the sites that you can order it from. Um, I don't know what stores they're shipping to, but I hope, you know, they're shipping to a lot of them. I know that... It, it, it's a journey. It, it's Metallopolis Records, and uh, they are out of Germany, and they're really hitting that side of the world hard. So, okay. um, as far as uh, I mean, I know people that ha- have the album now with the cover work, and and I, you know, like a lot of Racer X stuff and other things. I've done a lot of work on covers and stuff. I'm, I was always a uh, uh, a starving artist that way. You know, I, I like to get in on the visual thing. I mean, when I write a song, I, I start out with the visual, with the song, every one of the songs, especially on blasted to static, it seems I could easily do a video to any one of those. Cause that's where they all came from. They came from a lot of images in my mind, but, um, yeah, the, the, the best way to find out is just go to blasted and we'll have all the sites that you can order that from there. There's there's numerous ones, so you know I'd have to have a list in front of me to to, to tell you all the places to go to. Cool. And uh, I'm really stoked about this. It's coming out on vinyl also, and oh, on the cool. vinyl you'll get the CD. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, and uh, I, my daughter, you know, which I brought up already, she is the cover girl on the thing. And oh, I did really? all the okay. I did all the photography, and and we had a great guy in. Uh, in New York, do all the, uh, I did all the, we did all green screen stuff. So, you know, it's kind of Spielbergish. Awesome. Good stuff. And you guys did a show earlier this year at the whiskey, right? Yeah. Yeah. We did. Uh, we had to get everybody together, you know, I, yeah. Who's, who is everybody? Why don't you run down the band? For, well, we, for we got, uh, of course, Stu Marshall and he's a guitar player in death dealer also. And, um, he is out of Sydney, Australia, and then his cohort over there is a really fantastic session drummer. His name's Clay T, and he's also from Sydney. And he's a real Denny Karamasi sort of drummer, which is my favorite American drummer. You know, Montrose kind of straightforward drumming, but he's got some good uh, double bass chops. 
And then my my partner in crime always, if if I'm doing something, I'm doing it with this guy because if you've seen him on stage, you'd know why. He, his name's Reb Jones, and we did a couple MSG albums together, and uh, we did a Black Symphony album together way, way back, and uh, that's when I met him. But he's the bass player on it, and uh, he's also with uh, Leslie West and playing with Steelheart a lot lately. And... Um, and uh, that's the lineup. It's just the cool. four of us. Awesome. And, you know, I, I do want to dive into your past a little bit here because there's just so much of it. We won't be able to cover it all. But, you know, I, I wanted to ask Some of it you, still floats to the surface if I don't use enough concrete. <laughs> okay. Well, I wanted to, <laughs> to go way back and ask you about a band that I, I always hear about, not always, but, you know, I, I hear it is like a, a, a his, historical reference, but I really don't know much about this band, but I know you were mm-hmm. a part of it. And if you can tell me a little bit about the band Surgical Steel and, and what you guys were all about and, and your involvement with that band. Well, I, uh, right up to Surgical Steel, I'd been a full-time drummer, uh, but I'd been a singing drummer because I loved Don Brewer from Grand Funk. When I heard him singing and screaming his ass off and playing, I go, man, I got to do that. And how do I get a fro like him? The fro never came, but the singing did and the drumming. So, But um, Greg Chason, who is the bass player in Badlands, right. he had a band that he started with a guy named Jim Keeler in Arizona. And really, it was probably the first metal band ever. Wow. In Arizona, I mean, you know, as far as anything that to do like Iron Maiden or Scorpions or anything, they're definitely the first uh, real metal band, like a priest sort of metal band. And um, they lost their singer. And he, Greg knew, you know, obviously I grew up with Greg. I was in other bands with him, one called St. Michael and another called Ghost Rose way before um way before Surgical Steel. So, you know, we played together great as far as bass and drummer. And uh, he, he knew that I was, uh, he's, he'd see me on the dance floor trying to pick up chicks and whatever. He, he knew I was a nutty dancer. So he knew I'd have dance moves on stage. Yeah. And he, he already knew I could sing. So he said, hey, I, I got this new band. You want to come in and uh, try it out and and see what you think. So I was practicing with, with the band for, for one week. And we had a gig at the end of that week. Well, who does Jim Keeler meet during that week but Rob Halford? Right. From from Judas Priest, they just got done in Miami, finishing up Screaming for Vengeance. And who's out in the audience when I'm singing for the first time but my mentor, you know, the, the guy who made me really want to try to sing. Uh, so that was a scary thing. But yeah, we were, we were this crazy metal band uh, in... Uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, that, uh, you know, we'd just get more leather and more studs and, and just kept strapping it on. Now, had Rob and, moved uh, to, to Arizona at that point? He hadn't yet. He was thinking about it, and he had a friend that showed him around there, and, and he kind of fell in love with Phoenix and stuff. So at first, he was just renting during the very beginnings of uh, of uh, Screaming for Vengeance. He was just, you know renting a little townhouse but uh, he fell in love with it pretty fast and and it was great when he wasn't on tour every time we played he was there wow and hanging out and then coming up on stage doing our songs or we do metal gods we do all these priest songs where i'd sing a verse he'd sing a verse he actually sang on a couple of our demos which 
oddly enough, I tried to get on Blasted to Static. There's one song called Smooth and Fast, and wow. we are trading vocals, and I wanted to use those actual vocal tracks from, from back then, but couldn't uh, we couldn't hone down the tapes, but I think they have been found. So who knows? The second album here may have that. Wow, that would be amazing. That would be incredible. Yeah, um, so it was, and it was crazy time to be in, you know, it's ten ten girls to one guy, and yeah. it was just nutty. It was nutty. So, you know, we even got a movie deal, um, a movie called Thunder Alley with Canon Films, and I had I had speaking lines with Leif Garrett and uh, Clancy Brown, who was a Kurgan in The Highlander. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a real B-movie about, you know, uh, this guitar player in Tucson, Arizona, and that's where we shot it, in Tucson. But, wow. So, yeah, if you want if you want a real laugh, and my mom had just got, she said, uh, let me give you a perm. And she gave me this awful, I have the worst hair in this movie. It's just, I have the worst hair anyway, but <laughs> she really, she really ignited it. Right. And wow. we, you know it. Here I am doing a full length movie with with bad hair. Wow! Story of my life. Wow. So, so <laughs> when when you make the move to Los Angeles at some point, right, and and hook up to mm-hmm. Racer X. And well, you know, Varney knew me. Varney knew Mike me Varney. through yeah, Mike Varney from Shrapnel Records knew me through 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 these bands that I played in before um, Surgical Steel, one one being uh, Ghost Rose and St. Michael. And we did a song on the first Metal Massacre album. I think it's called, no, maybe it's a different album. It's some other album. One of his compilation, all these good guitar players right. throughout the nation kind of album. And it's a, it's a song called Laser Lady. And it's a real, you know, I was still drumming and singing at the time. Yeah, so I wonder if that was me. like one of the, uh, it's like the metal unsung heroes or something. Yeah, it's yeah, one of these things yeah. where all the all the guitar players, he's got like this cartoonish yes. figures of all these guitar players in a tank or on a right. tank. I know the album with you're him. talking about, yeah. And yeah, look that one up, because I'm on that, and that's like my first recording ever, okay. you know? I think I have it and, in my record uh, collection. Right? Yeah, yeah, so Varney knew me from that, and when Paul... Um, he found Paul Gilbert at 16 and had him on his page and, and wanted to do an album with him. So he just instantly thought of a whole bunch of singers and my name came into the mix. And uh, oddly enough, uh, the first song that was sent to me from Paul, real Randy Rhodes-ish sounding song. I was just freaking out how great this stuff sounded, you know? And it was it was called Don't Change a Thing. And of course, everything in the song needed to be changed as far as the writing. And that song never got on a Racer X album until the very last Racer X album, Getting wow. Heavier. And it's the last song on the album, wow, which crazy. is, uh, uh, what the hell is that called? Oh, boy. It's about a song about being out on the road. Um, I can't even remember the name title of it, but uh, oddly enough, the first song I wrote with him was the, the last Snowball song. of Doom record. No, no, it would be the Getting Heavier album. Okay, I do okay. believe. Okay, it's at Catapult to Extinction. No, that actually that is the you are good because that is the last song. It's the last sung one on that. Endless. Let's see. Sailing on an empty sea, places that I've never been before, across the world and back for more. Da-da. Oh, God. What's that? Endless? Endless. Yeah. That's it. Okay. 
That's it. Yeah, cool. Good, good nah, stuff. I, I did not sing that in the right key. <laughs> <laughs> well, so jumping ahead a little bit, you know, Racer X, you put out a, a, a stunning first record, but it was really the second record for me, Second Heat, that really, like, just wowed me. And, and, and you know, I told this to Paul Gilbert. I've told it to Bruce Bouillet. Uh, Scott, I said the same thing. It was one of those records to me at that time that was a little different than anything else that was was out there. And looking back on that second Heat record so many years later, how, how do you view it nowadays? Yeah, you know, we were gelling a little more. I mean, that first album was pretty much written over the phone. Um, I was still living in Phoenix, Arizona. I was still in Surgical Steel. And, um, you know, I came down to MI and we rehearsed a little bit and uh, they called me up and got the gig and all that kind of stuff. And of course I wrote to a whole bunch of songs and that all worked out, you know, street lethal and all that stuff. Was street lethal being a license plate I saw on a 69 charger in Arizona. So if that guy's listening, that's your song. <laughs> it was on his license plate, right? Somehow, you know, abbreviated, but it said street lethal. Um, yeah, so that I mean that album was recorded in ninety, recorded, mixed, and mastered in ninety nine hours. I mean, we practically did that on a weekend, and and it was done. Um, but you know, by the time we got to the second album, it was really more a real band, and the writing was you know getting a little more in line. Um, Bruce and of course, we floor. were searching for songs while we were in the studio, and I, I remembered. Um, Rob playing me from the Defenders of the Faith album, I think it was. There was two uh, songs that didn't make, make it on the album. Actually, one did. It was called Bad Girls Wear Leather, but it was turned into Eat Me Alive, and they had okay. to change it up a lot. And the other was Heart of a Lion. Right. And that was like my favorite song he played, and I couldn't believe it didn't make the album. And so we were looking for songs, and I had the tape with me, and I played it for Paul. I said, hey, I could call call Rob and see if he'd let us do this one. I mean, it's done, you know? And, um, so I called him and he says, well, let me get right back to you, Jeffy. And, and, uh, you know, 15 minutes later, I, I said, Hey, it's my birthday. Right. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was like around November 9th and he calls me back. He goes, go for it, mate. You know? So nice. he did. And, you know, if you hear that, I think priest actually released on some, reissue album or something the actual one from those recordings and it doesn't have the acoustic guitars and it, it doesn't have a lot of the wider parts in it it's it's a little more um bare bones and kind yeah. of really neat you know, and neat and, and i i like it a lot that way but you know the, the guys decided to we put some keyboards in there from uh uh jesse uh who played he was with um Oh, I've already used them on everything. Anyway, yeah, we had keys in there and, and acoustic guitars and stuff and, nice. and just widened it. Yeah, Halford did it too. He did it like on one of his uh, solo yeah, records, yeah. which was mm -hmm. uh, interesting. But yeah, that was that was such a just uh, incredible version. You guys covered the Bowie song on there too, uh, Moon Age Daydream. No, I got the a original... great story. You know, oh, go ahead. You know, it's funny. It's funny that we never... You know, you're saying that that album sounded so different from everybody else's. At that time, you know, Metallica was 
was going up the the ramp and stuff and really taking off and and they were in LA but they they got out of there as far as I heard and they went back to San Francisco we should have done something like that cuz we weren't really a hair metal band you know we had we were sticking our hair up and throwing hairspray cuz that's what they wanted to see you know that's what people wanted to see at that time but we were so different that you know uh, Labels didn't know what to do with us, and we were doing a uh, uh, playing at the country club, I think. And I don't think we were. It could have been when we were recording the live albums, but we had some newbie A and R guy from Warner Brothers came out to see us play, and we played Heart of a Lion, and we played Sacrifice or something uh, for him. And right after we got done with it, he comes up. Well, that sounded great, guys. Really good. But who, whoever writes these, are you the lead singer? Are you the writer? He goes, yeah, yeah, I am. He goes, you write a lot of the lyrics and the stuff for the. I go, yeah, I do. And he goes, well, we're going to have to get one of our guys with you because you obviously don't know how to write lyrics. I don't understand a thing about this Moon Age Daydream thing. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I just said, That's well, hilarious. you're going to have to go talk to David Bowie about that. And, uh, wow. You know, maybe you can straighten him out. But that's the kind of shit we were up against, yeah. you know? boneheads like that constantly yeah uh you know jumping ahead a little bit because we don't we don't have a lot of time left but you know you you end up back behind the the drum kit in in badlands uh you know taking over i guess for eric singer who who had left to i don't know where he went to alice or maybe even kiss to make a lot of money yeah Yeah. to make a lot of money with other bands and really you know become part of kiss (laughs) it's pretty amazing yeah i'd trade him any day and 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 I, I'm assuming Greg right is probably the one who looped you into the Badlands thing, right? Well, yeah, you know they were trying out a bunch of guys. Uh, I was there was a whole cattle call of guys, and uh, I came down, and uh, you know I uh, I I hadn't even seen Ray yet, and I'd been working with the guys for a week straight, and. Um, uh, here I did all this work on the first album, learning all the licks, learning songs exactly like Eric played them and all this. And I never played a, a one song until like two weeks would pass. All we were working on was Voodoo Highway songs, uh, just to see what I would do with them, you know, instead of seeing what I would do with something that's already been done, they wanted to see what I'd come up with. So, so, you know, and, and to, to, uh, to, to tell you how gray, great Ray was. Uh, yeah. Hadn't seen him for a week, week and a half. We had worked up a couple songs. Ray hadn't even heard these songs. Uh, I, I forget which, which ones they were, but he comes walking in the room and we're playing the song, sits down on the stool, and he just starts singing the bejesus belt out wow. of it. it. I mean, verses, choruses, words, which I thought were words at the time, but it's a thing that he does called jibba-jab, where he puts a word on the front, word on the back. He had a hard time writing lyrics that sounded as good as his jibba-jab stuff. But, um, you know, he would come up with good stuff, so that that was some amazing stuff there. Yeah, what a loss. Wow. Well, you know, it's been great talking with you, Jeff. I, I unfortunately have to wrap it up. I feel like there's so much more history to cover, and I, I would love to when we have more time sometime, uh, have you, have you back and we can go into more detail about all the, the old days with Badlands, Racer X, of course, NSG, yeah, yeah, um, great. I- you know, that would be great. Uh, so maybe a month or two down the road, we'll do that. But in the meantime, I yeah, want to just... you, 
Yeah, once people listen to the album a little more, we get a vibe for what, what they're digging and stuff. I can tell them what it's about. And we're going to have some other videos coming up here. And we're working on trying to get a tour together, you know, get uh, get funding for a tour and, and actually get out and play these. And obviously, uh, as we did at the Whiskey, I, uh, I think we did three or four Racer X songs, too. So right. I'm not going to be shy about, you know... Uh, one of the bands I love, and, and a lot of that writing I like, too, you know. Right on. We encourage all the Talking Metal le- listeners to go support this release and uh, go like Blasted to Static on Facebook. I'll have all the links up in today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Cool. Thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, brother. Yep. Yeah, uh, uh, feel free to uh, hit us up again, and I'd love to talk some more. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye.
That was Mark's interview with Jeff Martin, followed by Heart of the Lion by Racer X. Yeah. Great song written by Halford, and I think Tipton and Downing, if I'm wow. uh, mistaken. So great stuff Very there. Cool. And thanks to Jeff for joining us. And, you know, Jeff had called in a, a little later than we had scheduled the interview, and, and like an idiot, I had scheduled another interview right after it. So I felt like we were kind of rushed on time, and there was so much more to talk to him about his his history and stuff. So we'll get Jeff back at some point and even dig a little deeper into uh, his just incredible uh, history. So Sounds good. Let's let's just keep rolling here. We have one more interview to hit, and this guy's voice is just incredible. And he's he's so busy. He's doing so much. He plays with Cage, Death Dealer, and he's also playing with legendary guitar players Denner and Sherman. So uh, without further ado, let's get into um, Angel's Blood, brand new Denner Sherman featuring Sean Peck on vocals. And following this song, we'll get right into my interview with the one, the only, Sean Peck. Here we go.
That song right there is coming off the Masters of Evil EP by Denner and Sherman. And that vocalist on that song uh, is named Sean Peck. He's got a hell of a lot of stuff going on. He's going to tell us about all of it right now. And uh, yeah, Sean, welcome to the podcast. So glad you could be here. And uh, wow, you got a lot of stuff going on from Cage to Death Dealer to Denner and Sherman. Sean, how are you tonight? Man, like you said, busy, you know, where when you, uh, I don't want to call myself a heavy metal whore, but that's kind of what it's turned into. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you got a lot of stuff going on and, and, uh, I'm digging all of it. So let's, uh, let's, let's start off, uh, with the, uh, the Denner Sherman stuff. There is another EP on the way coming out next month in June. We just heard a track off of that EP. It's a Ju- full length. Oh, full it's a full length. length. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We started with the EP, Satan's Tomb, and now this is the follow-up full-length album called Masters of Evil. Awesome. Cool. And how will this differ uh, from the the EP, besides being longer? Well, I mean, you know, when we did the EP, it was our first time getting together as, you know, a group and and writing songs together. So we kind of just kept writing um, as it went as it went along, and um, the uh, the songs are just you know really covered you know we got eight songs on the cover just a, a huge gamut of everything heavy metal I mean there's some thrashy parts there's some acoustic parts there's some screw head headbanger parts right and very much reminiscent uh, you know of the to me. I mean the merciful fate style, you know that these that that Hank and Michael are known for. Just their incredible guitar riffs and the tempo changes and the vibe, and you know putting this stuff together with these guys was just it was an insane like heavy metal thrill ride being able to write songs. And I'm a huge merciful fate King Diamond fan, so I, I was just approaching everything from that aspect of like okay. As a fan, like, what am I going to, I put this record on, like, what am I going to expect? What am I going to want to hear? So hopefully, you know, no one is disappointed. <laughs> yeah. So going into it, you, you you definitely were keeping in mind the whole history of what these guys have done, which is just legendary, and, and uh, you know, kind of playing off that. That was obviously a big influence on what you were doing with them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've written, you know, so many albums, so many songs, so obviously I have my own style. Um, and so, you know, I wrote all the melody lines and lyrics and, you know, had some input in some of the creation, you know, from just the start of a, of a few of the songs, too, because I'm a, I'm a pretty, uh, I guess, I guess prolific writer. I mean, I write a lot of riffs in my head. I didn't have to do, you know, virtually any of that since you're working with Hank Sherman and Michael Benner, but definitely my, my fingerprints are like all over the stuff. And so me being a huge Judas Priest fan and, you know, Hank is a, is a huge Judas Priest fan that really made it where, you know, we, we really clicked as a songwriting team and, um, you know, where there's eight new songs on this record and they got the four other songs. And now, We've got a pretty insane, you know, body of work that really identifies what this is all about. And um, people that, you know, like the Satan's Tomb EP, which, you know, really, it, it sold great and was really well received. I mean, this is just, 
you know, kind of like that thing on, on steroids pretty much. So I think it's going to, yeah, we've heard some early reviews from, you know, different, uh, different magazines and stuff. And so far the early reaction has been just like insane. So I think, I think we did, I think we did it justice. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. I think it sounds great. Um, w- will there be live dates with, uh, with, with Denner Sherman to support this? Yeah. Yeah, we have, um, we're playing, we did our first live show ever, um, at this, these high voltage rock awards in Copenhagen, like a month or so ago, which is really cool. But we had to play it, we had to play a heavy dose of Merciful Fate song because we couldn't really play any new songs on the album. It's not released yet. But now, um, we're going back to co-headline this magic metal festival in Denmark in July. And then we're going to do several more shows in Europe in, the end of July, and then, uh, you know, we're definitely putting together a United States uh, run to, to bring this out. So, yeah, it's, it's a band, and it's going to do shows. I'm excited. Cool. And I imagine we can probably expect some, some classic Merciful Fate in the set? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, the focus is definitely not being a Merciful Fate tribute band, but, you know, we of course we're going to play some Merciful Fate songs, but... The, the majority of the show is going to be, you know, the new Denner Sherman stuff. And, but, you know, we played the four songs of the EP live, um, in Copenhagen and people went freaking nuts for them. So, uh, I think, you know, a, a nice mixture of both those, but there's definitely, I'm going to be definitely able to bust out my King Diamond impersonation, you know, nice. for some of the songs. This is going to be cool. Good stuff, good stuff. And as you mentioned at the at the top of the interview, I mean, you're real busy. You got so much stuff going on. Let's let's change gears and g- jump over to uh, one of the other things that you do, which is the vocalist for Cage, a band that has quite a history at this point. I mean, going back what like <clears throat> 18 years at this point, I think maybe more, right? Oh, uh, yeah, it's uh, 92 is what oh, we're calling okay. it. Wow, so, wow, yeah. Wow. So, long, long running band. I think in San Diego we're the longest running metal band, you know, left alive. I don't think there's anybody still that's an active band like from back in the day, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool from a local a local vibe standpoint. We're pretty proud of that. And you guys had a record that came out last year, where towards the end of last year. So it's really not not that old at this point well it was october we had three albums come out in one month we had the dinner sherman the death dealer and the cage all in october and we called it techtober because i mean who do you know that has released three albums in one month hard to hard to find anyone that's done that no (laughs) no one no one cool well let's let's talk about cage what uh what's up with the band cage at this point well, we did the Ancient Evil album, which was a horror concept album, um, you know, along the lines of, a, you know, an Abigail or a, um, a Them or something from King Don. So we always wanted to do a horror concept. And, you know, I wrote a book that went along with it. And they, you know, the book actually sells pretty good, which is really surprising. So that went over, um, you know, the crit- critically acclaimed. It was mi- massive undertaking. It was like 19 tracks. Um, you know, almost two hours. So, and, and to to make a concept album that's not a complete mess and have people, you know, really take to it right away is is a tough challenge. And we were able to do it um, successfully. So we've been doing shows. We did a uh, we did an East Coast run. We did a small 
little run on the West Coast with the Metal Allegiance guys, and that ended up being really cool because one of the shows was the Lemmy tribute show at the Whiskey in Hollywood when they oh, did right. the whole funeral and stuff, and that was just like an amazing night of just a who's backstage. It was just like a who's who of metal. It was like insane. Awesome. One of the... One of the one of the uh, papers thought I was actually Rob Halford. They go, oh, Rob <laughs> Halford got up and sang with some band before. <laughs> wow. That's pretty funny. And um, so we did that, and we just played a show at Last in Line, um, what, night before last with Vivian Campbell. So we've been doing some local stuff, and we're working on kind of a super secret record right now that's called Project One. Off the air, I can tell you what makes it so special and unique. But okay. um, wow. right, right right now, uh, to the listeners, I'm for, and I hate doing it with people, go, oh, it's a secret, because, like, you know, it's always, they always try to embellish some secret that's not really that big of a deal. This is actually a pretty big deal. So well, I'll tell you off air, but, yeah, we're, like, three-quarters of the way through this this latest record. So now we've just been keeping, keeping working, and uh, we're going to be doing... We're working on a European tour uh, next April, and it looks like we're going to be doing the East Coast by the end of the year. So oh, awesome. uh, we had a good, good, good run on the East Coast, and we're going to go back. Cool. And when when you say it's three quarters done, I imagine that means recording. You're you're in the studio recording and and uh, nearing the end, or is it still before recording and you're writing? No, no we're we're kind of like writing them and recording them as it goes along. So. Um, they're not the final mixes, but you know we got a we got a significant amount of of seventy five percent of the album done, so we're we're making good progress. And in Cage, who are the primary songwriters? Um, myself and Dave Garcia, the guitar player, are the original guy, original two guys, and then Casey Trask is the new guitar player. Um, he was a young kid. He's like 24 years old. He's like total old metal song and it's been great how he's fit in. He's an, he's an incredible songwriter. So the three of us primarily, and then, you know, the drummer, Sean Elge always puts his own spin on the drums. And, um, that's always, you know, you write the songs with the, with, the you know, the loop drums, and then you have him come in and record the real drums. And, he always like takes it to a, a different spot. Like we didn't expect. And, and I got to give him credit for being able to write some really tasty, you know, vibes to these songs. So, uh, but mainly it's me and the two guitar players. Cool. And jumping gears over to death dealer, you guys had a, a record that came out also in October, as you mentioned, you had three releases come out last October. And uh, let's let's talk about that band. When did you originally hook up with Ross to uh, to form or join Death Dealer? That was in um, 2012, and you know the story. I've told the story a million times. It's just like Stu Marshall, the guitar player from Australia. You know, got just a wild hair up his ass one day. He's like, "Mate, we got to do a band called Death Dealer." And I'm like, uh, "Okay." And we're just kind of joking about it, going. Well, if we do a band, let's just get the most famous guys that we can find <laughs> to you know, help help raise our stature. Right. Uh, and so we're first we started with the bass player. Like, who's a bass player that anyone will even care about? You know, we're like, okay, Dave Ellison, freaking, you know, uh, Tom Araya. We're just throwing out all these crazy names, and they're like, 
Well, man, you were just hanging out with Mike Davis, who's Halford's bass player and was the original Lizzie Borden guy. He's right here. So we called up Mike and like, hey, do you want to be in this imaginary band we're thinking of? And he's like, right. yeah. And then we're like, oh, okay. And then the next call was to the drummer, which at the time was Rhino, who was the Man of War drummer for a while. Sure. And he and he goes, yeah, I'll do it. And then I had been talking to Ross kind of online, just, you know, political ramblings and making jokes and stuff back and forth. And I go, hey, can I call you about a project? And I called him up. I'm like, you don't know me, but... um we're going to do a band. Do you want to be in it? And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it was just like, and I called back Stu and I'm like, Hey, we got this band together. So I guess we need to write a record. And then, you know, we wrote this, re- we wrote and recorded the entire first Warmaster album in two months, which was incredible. And, you know, I love that record. And then, you know, next thing you know, we were on a, an arena tour opening for the metal all-stars across Europe, you know, and it, like in arenas, it was just incredible how it all came together. Right. Good stuff. And of course, if anyone uh, doesn't know who we're talking about, Ross the Boss is the, the person we're, we're talking about. Ross the Boss from Manowar, the guy that wrote the good Manowar stuff. Yeah, right on, right on. And uh, well, Death Dealer um, right now, is that, uh, is, is that active? Are you guys booking shows or doing anything at, at the moment? Well, we had, we had an Australia tour in June that just got you know, canceled, which was a real bummer. So we're working on, we, we've already got, you know, I'd say three, three songs, um, of the new record pretty much put together. So once I, once I finish up with this, with this other record, um, that we're working with cage, we're going to kind of dive into that. And then it's, we're really looking at doing something in, um, 2017, you know, Europe and the United States. So it's uh, 2016. We're probably not going to play. 2017, we'll probably go out and hit it hard again. We did a tour last summer in Europe, which went over really good. Cool. And I wanted to also ask you about Warrior. Uh, you'd done some work with them in the past, a band that I used to love as a kid. Uh, what, yeah. what's, what's the current status of that? Um. I went and I did the Keep the Truth Festival with them, and then we did a show in San Diego, which was really good. Um, you know, they did the singer Perry, you know, didn't want to do it, so they asked me. And uh, the more that I, you know, learned about the Warrior songs, you know, the more I, at first I wasn't like, yeah, this is cool. I love Fighting for the Earth. But the more I sang those songs, the more I, like, started to appreciate, you know, the magic of some of the stuff that they wrote. Um and then Joe Floyd actually helped me work on the Darker Than Black um, Cage album, so I knew him from there. And then when we got back from the festival, you know, we started working on a new record, actually. We had, like, three songs together. And then, like, Joe wow. got busy with his guitar thing, and then the other guitar player was doing all different stuff. He's in the country band now. So they kind of just fizzled out. Like, I, you know, I'm a real... You know, I don't stop working. I, I, I'm, I just keep going. I always want to be working on music. And they kind of were on the, um, you know, let's wait. Oh, it's, you know, way too slow for my case. And so it just fizzled out. And then they asked me to do some tribute show with them in L.A. a few months back. But just like I had to go to Europe and I was just like, ah, I don't have time to do it. So um, I would be surprised if that ever happens again but you never know like i said I had, I had a lot of fun with the guys and when the show went over good but um and you wrote three songs you said with them 
Yeah, we had, I think we had, we had two or three put together that were pretty cool. And then, you know, uh, the other guitar players like, oh, well, we want to rework them. I'm like, this, you don't need to rework these, dude. These are killer. And like, so then it started just going down that path. And then it, that's when it all just fizzled out. But gotcha. I talked to Joe Floyd still, and he's, you know, it's like, yeah, one day maybe it'll happen again. So who knows? But right now, you know, I've, then, you know, the Dennis Sherman thing came up, and that's just, um, it's totally up my alley. So I'm really enjoying that. And I don't know. If they if they wanted to get active again, I don't know if I could do four bands. Really, I'd probably have to probably have to say no. But right, you never know. You never know. Cool. And you mentioned the, the Denner Sherman thing again. It's the full length record, Masters of Evil, out June twenty fourth. What what label is that coming out on? That's on Metal Blade, and you know the the vinyl sold out last time. So I would encourage everyone to pre order. Um, like I said, fans of, you know, everything that you expect from them, I'm sure are going to love it. We have a, a killer music video coming out um, a few days before the release, so we're really excited about that. We flew up to Sweden to film it. And um, like I said, it's just been great. Um, playing with them and the bass player, Mark Grabowski, is pretty well known in the metal scene. And, and who's uh, doing drums? Snowy Shaw on drums. He did an incredible job. You know, he's got his own solo bands and luckily he played in Demu Borgir and a bunch of stuff. So, uh, Dream Evil. What else did Snowy play? Sabaton, too. Oh, okay, cool. cool. So, yeah, it's just like, you know, world-class musicians and uh, I think all the fans are going to love what they hear from the songs. Very cool. Again, June 24th is the uh, release date, Masters of Evil. Denner Sherman, two of the guys responsible for the the classic Merciful Fate sound and and some of the King Diamond stuff too, right? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think um, Michael wrote some of the King Diamond songs on Fatal Portrait. Cool. And we are talking with vocalist Sean Peck, who just does so much great stuff. Sean, to take us out, we heard some... uh, some Denner Sherman earlier. Why don't we hit a Cage song? What can we play for the listeners? Uh, let's play something off the new one. How about um, the title track, Ancient Evil? Here it is, a little Cage with Ancient Evil. Sean, thanks so much. All right, man.
That was Ancient Evil by Cage featuring Sean Peck. Cool. Yeah, fun. Fun episode, John. Three great singers. He's yeah, what, what a great uh, bunch of interviews you did, Mark. Thank you again for doing these. We, you mentioned a while back that we, we got to get me back involved in some of these interviews, and I miss it, and I miss everything. I'm getting back into the whole internet thing and and trying to devote more time to doing all the stuff that I used to do and uh, you know I don't want to not to take away from the ace timer or any of that stuff or any of the other things I do but I I just want to make it a point to get back to what I consider my roots which was being online working on websites working on the talking metal website doing talking metal interviews going to concerts and all that kind of stuff. Cool. Uh, big well, festival. Yeah, I know. Well, Mark, you're going to go to that festival concert, right? Yeah, yeah, which I was going to say. You, first, you and your girlfriend, Lynn, should come to uh, White, White Snake, Snake with, with yes. Emily and I. We're hitting that next week. And we are, I think even Mitch LaFon is driving down from Montreal for this. There's this, just, wow. as you know, an amazing concert festival uh, thrown by, I've, this, I've been to two festivals that the guy who's putting this together has, has, uh, has thrown. I was, oh, I cool. was it, one was called the food truck and rock carnival which oh, was nice. last year. Um, and then I just three weeks ago, a month, less than a month ago was up at the rock derby, which he threw, uh, outside of Albany, New York, which was fantastic. Ghost played wow, in right. Cambria dock and, um, extreme, uh, 6 a.m., just a massive, great festival. Um, and he is throwing what is looks like it's possibly going to be my favorite festival ever, a three-day thing in New Jersey. Ace is playing. Right. Alice Cooper, Overkill, Monster Magnet, um, Twisted Sister, one of their final shows, if not their final show, will be at this festival. Uh, it is going to be just an insane weekend, and I am so psyched to... Uh, to go and attend it. Uh, yeah, and I will, of course, be there. Three days. Yeah. Are you yeah. Gonna, you'll probably just be there for the A-State? You're probably be just there? be there for the A-State because the night before is that Poughkeepsie concert, so uh, you're going to have to miss the Poughkeepsie yeah. show. Um, but, uh, so everybody, uh, come to see Ace and Poughkeepsie, <laughs> but that's going to be good. But um, I think that show, the Ace show might be sold out. I'm not sure. So I, 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 it was sold out, so hopefully it's still sold out. I know that's the one we had postponed. So uh, I believe it's still sold out. So um, uh, that's that's September great, 30th. Sometimes people have trouble filling the chance. Nothing against Poughkeepsie or the chance. I yeah. just know that it, it's a hike from New York and uh, – there's been some, I don't want to say the names of the bands, but some bigger right. name bands who have played there and like they're selling out in, in the city and then they get up there and it's like half full. So right. uh, yeah, the A show was so totally, I mean, it was sold out back when it was originally scheduled. So I think what they just said was like, you know, just save your tickets for the rescheduled date. So cool. that's going to be fun. But then I will be there the, the next day and I probably won't be there the third day uh, only because, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm not sure where the Ace Tour is going to be at that point. I've uh, we're still uh, mapping out the dates and everything, and so I've got to check that out. I don't remember. Uh, sometimes I remember off the top of my head. In this particular case, I do not. So, cool. Well, we'll uh, wrap it then for today, guys. Use those Amazon links if you want to make a PayPal donation. You can do that. We have Talking Metal T-shirts for sale on the site. And uh, yeah, John, I know you're on your way out, and uh, I think I'm going to drink another beer and probably go to bed. I'm exhausted <laughs> wiped out working yeah. doubles all week is terrible uh, I, I believe it I, I was planning to stay in tonight but uh, an unexpected uh, thing has popped up which is going to draw me out uh, so I'm going to head out for a short time and then come back 
Excellent. What should we play for people to get us out of here? What Ooh. do you think? Okay. We should play something that has something to do with that rock carnival. Well, you know, Alice Cooper is just announced as the... Uh, yeah, headliner one of the one, nights. One of the main headliners. So you want to hit some Alice? Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Let me see. Well, let me just look on my iTunes to see what I have loaded in. Um, although we can probably get anything. Alice Cooper, I got... Let's see, I got Trash, Poison, Dangerous Tonight, Hey Stupid, Vengeance is Mine, Off Along Came the Spider, Caught in a Dream. That's a good one. Yeah, Caught in a Dream. You know why? Uh, My old group, Cherry Red, which Emily was in a later version of Cherry Red called The Minx, and uh, we used to play Caught in a Dream. Yeah, it's off the Love It to Death record. Old, old school, Els Cooper. Let's check it out now on Talking Metal. John, have a good evening. You too, Mark. uh, We'll catch you soon. Absolutely. Tell him, Lee, I said hello. Hello. So I-